Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Everybody, welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Show, and this is a first for me. I'm actually recording this in my backyard, and uh, you're probably going to hear my kids. My wife is at a um, women's conference, and so I'm watching my kids today, and uh, she already got most of the schoolwork done with them, but I helped them with math. Got all the math done, and then like any good father, I just told them to go watch TV, <laughs> and so... They've been watching TV for the last couple hours, and, and I said, you know what? They should be playing outside. The weather is so beautiful right now. So um, I'm doing this from my backyard, and I told my kids they're outside playing right now. And uh, I thought, why don't I go outside and work outside while they're playing outside? Hey, Jewel, say hi. Hi. That was Jewel. <laughs> She's our five-year-old, and my other girl is riding a... Uh, a two-wheel scooter um, that's electric-powered around our little driveway thing here. But anyway, so um, if you hear the background noise, um, I'm sorry if that offends you, <laughs> but it's just going to be the way it is. Uh, so I have some special guests on the call today, Jonathan and Erica Brazer. They're actually from St. Louis. They um, We met for the first time about a week ago. They're in Life and Air. You've heard me talk a lot about Life and Air. Life and Air is a group of awesome investors. Most of us are real estate investors in Life and Air. Um, but it's a group of people that kind of come together um, with some common values and, and basically have said, you know what, we're going to create a vision for our life first, and then we're going to create a business around that vision for our life. So our life is going to be the center of everything, you know, whatever we value, God, family, whatever. We're going to put that in the center of our life and then put business around that. And so business, most people put that in the center of their lives and life kind of fits in around that. But we've tried to reverse that. And it's just a great group of people that's growing. It's kind of like it's like a mastermind, like a boardroom. We get together three, four times a year and share in these masterminds what's working What's not? What do you need help with? And the cool thing about being in a group like Life and Air is you get to meet some cool people like Jonathan and Erica. And uh, started to talk to them and found out that they're doing a lot of lease options, which are really near and dear to my heart. I love lease options. And uh, they're doing they're 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 living they're living and doing deals kind of in the southern part of St. Louis, um, where I typically don't do deals. But uh, they've done a lot. I mean, Jonathan and Erica, how long have you been in the real estate game? Um, we started kind of in the beginning of 2014. Uh, January, I think, is when we went to our first RIA meeting. We decided that we were interested in it. We wanted to see what it was all about. So we're a few months away from uh, being three years, and I thought it only appropriate that we find our way to our backyard as well. Oh, you're you're in the backyard too as well, huh? <laughs> That's right. That's right. But I, I I bet I have more kids than you do. Yeah. Yes, you do. But I got a turkey that I'm looking at right now. Uh, oh. Yeah, we picked our house up in a lease option off of a bandit sign, 
and it's a basically it's a compound. It's ten and a half acres, and uh, in the process, we got deeded uh, three other properties that we own as well. So we were able to move nice. our in-laws um, in. So her brother-in-law, or her brother, and her parents live on our land, and then a former business assistant of ours lives in one of the houses too. But uh, yeah, looking out right now, I see a turkey coming across the the acreage. <laughs> When is uh, when is turkey season start? Yeah, that'd be good to know. I probably should find out. I think it's like in November, maybe. Like yeah, it's only October. like a, one or two weeks in the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I'd think it would be around Thanksgiving. Would make sense. A lot of people already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of people already know this, but I shot a deer in my backyard. Um, from my so we have two houses, kind of like, well, it's. It's a carriage house that looks like a big giant garage, but it's really not. It's been finished. And in there is a bedroom. In the carriage house is a bedroom and a bathroom. And my office is upstairs. And uh, so last December, the last day of bow season, um, for alternative bow season, where I shot um, with my crossbow, I saw a deer in the backyard. I, in my shorts and slippers, uh, and a shirt. I, I, I snuck over into the carriage house. I went into the bathroom. I pulled up the window, and you did the as a, you shot this deer from my bathroom window, um, and about 60 yards, and it was pretty amazing. I had no idea what to do after that. We we tracked it. We waited about an hour. We tracked the deer back into the woods, and um, had a friend come and help me. Uh, take care of it, and it was. I just had some deer jerky today for lunch. Actually, it was really good. That kind of sounds like my kind of hunting. <laughs> yep, and <laughs> right from your backyard. <laughs> and so I realized we probably just alienated and lost half of our listeners. I think it's it's cruel and unusual punishment to kill animals to eat, but that's just the way we roll. So anyway. Um, this is a, this is, it's a good honor to talk to you guys, and I'd like to talk about lease options. Um, sure. you guys have been doing a lot of them. Mm-hmm. You have, I think you said you have about 28 or 29 properties right now in your portfolio. That's is that correct? correct? From, from yeah. sandwich lease options. That's right. That's right. Now I'll, I'll I'm going to group them all together. Some are sandwich lease options, some the same kind of acquisition, but we, we they've been seller financed to us, and some are subject to. But in total, okay, uh, um, we have tenant buyers installed in almost all of those. Nice, and these are all within a half hour to an hour drive from your house, right? Yes. Yes. I would good, say closer good. to the half hour mark. We don't really like to go further than thirty minutes. Uh, I am good. going and to. So, I mean, I'm going to see one today that's about 50 minutes away um, after this call, but it's a joint venture with someone else. Okay, nice. And uh, so you you prefer to, I mean, you don't do a lot of these virtually. You you find that talking to the seller in person is a little makes it a little easier to get these deals under contract, right? Well, so what we do is we kind of get our deals structured over the phone. We build we. We build a lot of rapport over the phone with our sellers, and then we don't really go out to the houses without them saying, yes, they are interested in doing a lease option or a term 
deal. So we're not spending a lot of our time in sellers' homes, only to those who are that we find really, really interested. Yeah, we use our most valuable tool, which is the telephone. And that sure. means that 90, the high 90 percentile of houses that we go to, we're leaving with a contract. We're leaving with an agreement. Yeah, so you don't go there unless you know that they um, are going to sign your contract pretty much. Exactly. Well, that's really smart. And then that's one of the biggest benefits of doing deals in your own backyard, right? Because um, you're going to do more of them. Right. Most all the terms also get worked out while we're on the phone. So it's not all new when we get there um, trying to make a deal. We have sent over a preliminary agreement. Um, a as seller as, credibility pack. Yeah, a seller credibility pack that has links to our YouTube so that they can see how other sellers have felt after we got it done for them and tells a little bit about us and um, then also a congratulations letter that lets them know the things that they need to have when we get to their house. Okay, nice. All right, so let's start from the, let's go back a little bit. How did you guys get into real estate? What were you doing before that? Um, I was a dental assistant in a small practice in Arnold. Um, and I worked at a, a home improvement company, and I've been in that field for 13 years as a salesman. And so I spent, you know, 70 and 80 hour work weeks out on the street going to three or four people's homes a day and helping them to own anything from windows, a roof, to what I finished my career doing that is in sunroom additions. So full addition okay. on the back of people's houses. And so nice. we um we had gotten married earlier in the in the year 2013, and um, a se a seminar came to town, and you know they said you know you can learn about the different ways to do real estate investing. You just need to come listen to you know our hour and a half uh, presentation, and then when you go to that presentation, you know they sell you into their four-day boot camp and so we went to the four-day boot camp um jonathan had actually sat through it a couple of years earlier which is how he had bought um his house in dogtown which is an area in st louis city sure. and so he said you know this would be really awesome we should really get into it most millionaires are made from doing real estate so we didn't really know what that meant but we went to the boot camp and we signed up for the course which we spent significantly less than some people were spending in that room, but it got us a step into the door. Significantly less, but I will tell you, it was still a lot for us. And I think it was spread out over five different credit cards just to be able to yeah. get into some of their minimum tier coaching program. And so okay. the, the, the first thing that they tell you to do, you know, once you leave here, obviously, besides start listening to their programs and stuff, is to join your local RIA, which at the time, that was January 2014 at this point, and that was when the Life and Air RIA had just come about and just had opened. Um, yeah, sure. So I think it was the first Life and Air RIA where Sean McClowski had taken the RIA, the, the St. Louis RIA over that we went to, and we were like, yeah, raising our hand. How do you get money once you have a deal? And I remember Jason Roberts was there. He's like, what a good question. There are a lot of people in this room that will help you with that, but uh, get a deal and money will follow. Yeah. And did you find that to be true? That is true, yes. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, When we thought we had a deal, 
money didn't happen. When we had actually a deal, uh, we had multiple people wanting to help us to lend to us for it. From the RIA group, the real estate club? Yes. From the RIA and then, you know, just networks of if they didn't have a buyer, somebody else had a buyer. You know, we found that the St. Louis market has actually been really friendly to us, helping us get started. We've made a lot of great connections here and, um, you know, everybody just kind of seems like family, the people we have connected with. I'll tell you, that's been my, our experience when we met even uh, real estate investors from across the country is it's a big like share situation. People take you under their wing and are always willing to share information. It, it's, it's not cutthroat like you would think. I guess there's just a lot yeah. of houses out there and people are willing to share and joint venture deals and, and help, help you out even when you're new. People don't realize how much money is in the RIA groups. Right. In other words, there's this misconception that it's only beginners that go there and only want to be investors and people that want to be but aren't, you know, whatever. But uh, there's a lot of people there that go there to look for deals or look for deals to buy and look for deals to lend on. Um, and while there are a lot of beginners there, but there's still a lot of – it's a great group. And, and I've always encouraged people to – Network and get associated with as many different local real estate clubs as you can. And if there aren't any good ones in your market, go ahead and start one. Start one, yeah. Exactly. I, I would agree, agree with you 100%. That's what we tell a lot of our coaching students. If they are not in St. Louis, definitely get connected with your local real estate investment club. Excellent. All right, so you guys um, – you started investing in your education, and we don't have to name any names, um, but this one in particular, um, you spent a lot of money with them. Uh-huh. Um, you got some good stuff out of that, didn't you? Yes, we did. Uh, the, the first one I think that we got involved with kind of was a, a company that's really just all about helping you to get more educated, more educated, more educated. And so yeah. I, I felt like that maybe sometimes there was an ingredient left out of the formula, the blueprint, let's say, to a success. But interesting enough, you know, finding, listening, taking their courses and then going on YouTube and asking a lot of questions and then and then adding another course, uh, that that's really where it clicked for us. So um, somebody came to town and structured, you know, their whole presentation around lease options and boy it just it really clicked for us so we took it was probably the second course where we really got it um and that was ron legrand's course right yes yeah give credit to him that guy knows what he's doing ron legrand i I love ron legrand and i've been trying to get him on the show Uh uh-huh and uh can't do it Maybe I, I just need to probably call his office. I've been having friends call him for me or my assistant call his office. But uh, Ron Legrand, the famous Ron Legrand, he's yeah. been around for a long time. He has. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just keep trying. Just keep trying. He'll appreciate the persistence. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, he's a funny guy. Um, I had. Uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I was looking on eBay, uh-huh. and I like going to eBay and looking for old real estate courses, you know, the ones from the 90s, uh-huh. and uh, sure enough, man, he's there. 
he's, he's got a lot of old old boot camps and stuff like that, and he's still doing deals. I was talking to recently to a guy in his market. I think he's in Jacksonville. Jacksonville. And uh, yeah. I was telling him, yeah, yeah, he's still doing deals. You, you know, he was competing against him on some of the marketing and stuff. That's cool. But um, all right, so you started learning about lease options from Ron Legrand, and um, one of the things I like about Ron is that he simplifies everything. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It really keeps it simple. What uh, what was he teaching you as part of the lease option systems that got your attention that you know you weren't getting from the other uh, programs that you were going through? Well, I think it's like you said. He just really simplifies it and he breaks it down piece by piece. And you know he has a little bit of an arrogance about him, but it's good enough that you know he kind of keeps your attention throughout the whole thing. And yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it was maybe when the student was ready, the teacher appeared, or how you know it actually all came about. But he was just. I mean, wouldn't you say that he was just really? He simplified everything. He simplified everything. And I think that one of the best things he did for us is he. You know, he put a system in our hands because he had scripts already structured, and so we took them and started applying them. And, you know, every Fortune 500 company uses a script on the phone, and it just helps you to stay on path. Mostly it helps you to extract information and find out if you've got somebody there that is willing to work with you. Sure, hey, sure. By, by the way, Joe, I don't want to get too off track, but my attention has been drawn to now there's two turkeys and a deer out here. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, say, say hello to them for me. I don't yeah. see – we uh, we used to see – um, there's there was a, a doe and three little fawns that we used to see all the time, and we haven't seen them in a, in, a, in about a week, a week and a half. Um, so I'm a little uh, little nervous about that. We heard a bunch of coyotes the other day. Oh, uh, they were howling and going crazy. So we think that they they got eaten or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Okay, so um, learn about lease options now. What about lease options interests you? Why why do you like lease options? Well, so what I liked about it was, you know, we, we had to leverage ourselves just to get our initial courses and then to get a mentor and coaches afterwards. And so we weren't sitting on a big pile of money to get into real estate. And so what, what we love, there's a lot that we love about lease options, but one of the biggest factors was is that it didn't take our own money except for the marketing to be able to take a property over. So Well and it's just like everything else, but like on steroids. Yeah, that's what I've said many times is that it's all other real estate investing on steroids and here's why is you get as a lease option fee, so upfront money from a buyer, a tenant buyer, you get what is often equivalent to wholesaling a property. Then you get monthly income in the sandwich scenario uh, uh, like as if you have a rental home, and then you also get a spread at the end for having marked up and paid down the mortgage that looks a lot like uh, if you rehabbed the house. And so it's kind of uh, engineering of all, all of real all different kinds of real estate investing into one deal, and turns out to be pretty profitable. Not to mention you're helping nice. people out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you are. Isn't that fascinating, though? I mean, people think that lease options, ah, they're not that sexy. They're not. That's what I used to think. Yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking, yeah, they're just, they're too, uh, 
they're for beginners. Right. And uh, started focusing on the more important, more uh, the bigger types of deals, and started to realize that um, I started looking at lease options. Like, man, you know what? I even whether I flip the lease option or I stay in the middle, I might get a lot of money with these things. And when you stay in the middle, you're explain this a little bit, would you guys? You you make money up front. You make money throughout the lease option with cash flow, and you make money at the back end. Explain that a little bit. Okay, so um, here, here's what I, I believe all the statistics to be right now is there's only about 19% of the public today that can qualify for a mortgage. So that leaves a big chunk of the public that would love to find themselves into an ownership situation, but the bank won't let them because of one reason or another. They did to income ratio, some scar on their credit. So what happens is, is that we're able to shop in that big pool of people for our buyers. Now, that there's only 19% of the public, they, those guys, they hold all the cards. Where they show a, a realtor, that they have an approval letter, and they go out and they get to uh, see 10 houses after they show them that letter. And the challenge is that the marketplace has a bunch, uh, thousands every month of foreclosures, that retail sellers are competing against. So they go to they go look and they see 10 houses. It's not impossible. Two of them were foreclosures being offered to them by the bank at, you know, uh, 50, 60, 70 cents on the dollar. So as a buyer, which which do they buy? A lot of times they the retail buyer, the retail seller, I mean, is beat out by the um, by the foreclosure that the bank that's willing to give them the loan. So sure. what happens is that one of the ways we market is to expired listings. So we tell them, hey, you weren't able to sell your house the traditional method. We'll give you full price for your house. And then our phone rings. So nice. what we do is we go and put uh, an agreement, a contract on the house for full price or something something very close, you know, say ourselves maybe the realtor fees because there's not a realtor involved in our transaction. So for simple math, we, let's say, take on a $100,000 house. Well, interesting enough, a $100,000 house is worth a little more to a tenant buyer because they're somebody who's not qualified uh, currently to buy. So we shop in that, that pool of the 81% to find the most qualified people of it, the person who, A, can give us the biggest down payment or what we call a lease option fee rather than a down payment, the person who can pay us the most monthly on a spread, and the person who is going to find their way to be qualified the soonest. So we have people that have, we have tenant buyers that have 800 credit scores, but their debt-to-income ratio, because they're self-employed, looks a little skewed to the bank. So the bank won't give them a loan. Uh, that's not such a hard fix. We just have them report, you know, their earnings a little more properly than they maybe did in the past. And next thing you know, they're yeah. they're qualified in a not so so distant future. So um, so what we do is before we'll move anybody in, we screen them heavily and find out, you know, what their how far away they are from qualifying. And then we take that lease option fee up front. And so that tends to be in the tune of 3 to 10% of the sale price. And uh, that 
is uh, we we take that and take that off of the the, the sale price. So that that hundred thousand dollar house in the market that didn't sell, we're able to market up to a hundred and ten. And so the example I just used, let's say we get a five thousand dollar down payment or lease option fee, then now they still owe us one hundred and five thousand dollars. To so that's one way we make money, and we're able to put that right in our pocket, that $5,000. Uh, we usually put some aside just in case we'd have to pay uh, a monthly a monthly mortgage, and yeah. our tenant buyer worked well, in it if that ever happened. But, that's, that's a really important thing. Talk about that real quick. Um, how much money do you set aside for those kinds of savings? Typically half of the lease option fee. So nice. um, we put it kind of on reserve, and but neat thing is the other half then we can we can spend. So we, so well, let's talk about why that's important here because you're staying in the middle of these deals, right? So sure. you're 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 basically promising the seller that after a certain amount of time, once the tenant buyer's in the house, you're going to be paying that mortgage every month, whether it's vacant or not, right? That's correct. So Good. once I I don't take on a payment until I've installed a tenant buyer, and often not till a month or two afterwards. So I usually ask for at minimum a 90-day period to find a tenant buyer, meaning the seller is making their payments for 90 more days. So I'll say that my last six of them, I found a tenant buyer inside five weeks. And so when I installed them in, Thereafter, I was collecting a payment from my buyer, and sometimes my seller was still making their payment for one or two more months. Beyond that okay. happening, though, I am completely responsible for making the mortgage payment. And so if I have a vacancy or a non-paying buyer, um, then I still, you know, logistically, I, I, I could walk that deal, but integrity-wise, I would always make the payment. So that's another thing. How many? Plus about a... Sure, that's really important. Yeah, is that you're, you know, you, you should have integrity and you should be trying to do the right thing, but legally, you, um, it, it's a, it's a low-risk deal. <laughs> Put it that yeah, way. very, it, it is. So, but you have, um, and the great thing about these houses too, right, if, if the tenant buyer doesn't work out, they're really easy to find another one. Correct. So I had one that I just sold my se the second time on, and here's here's how math worked out on it. So the first time I sold it, I sold it for $130,000, and we had somebody move in, give us $3,000 down on that particular one. That's all they could come up with. But that house was cash flowing monthly for us in the $700 range. Well, that tenant okay. buyer, while they lived there for the 14 months that they did, they put in a new – they did some painting. They did some landscaping. They stained the deck. They put in a backsplash in both bathrooms and in the kitchen, and they put they painted the kitchen cabinets. They put in new flooring in the kitchen and the bathroom. They made all these bunch of improvements, and so that particular one, I had a new buyer – installed in seven days in that house so i didn't have to carry you know i didn't have to make a payment in it being vacant and interesting enough instead of selling it for 130 i sold it for 145 and was able to increase my cash flow to nearly a thousand dollars on that one 
uh, because it nice. has been an improved property. You know, when people are, are looking to do lease options, you could do a lease option on any house you wanted to. It doesn't necessarily mean you should do a lease option on every yeah. single house. Yeah. You want to stay in the areas where it's desirable, where people are wanting to, you know, move in. Or That's right a there. really, really yeah. good point. Yeah, yeah or it's right there on the cusp. Like, so the house he's talking about is in Herculaneum, Missouri, and it's right outside of, like, Arnold, you know, Imperial. Those are places that have really high, um, high-rated schools. And so mm-hmm. it's, the population is just moving further and further out, and Herculaneum is going to be one of those next places that are, you know, a little bit more booming. But right now it's yeah, right yeah. there on that cusp but it's still a very desirable area to live. So many uh, investors get in trouble, don't they, when they do yeah. lease options in, in bad areas? Yeah. Um, no, you definitely what's your general the war zones. Yeah, you want to avoid the war zones. What's your general rule of thumb for, like, price of home? What do you want to stay above? So uh, I'll tell you that I don't have any – too high of a number i'll try anything but what we find is the magic zone is between 130 to 250 thousand dollar houses and we 130 to 250 and that's st louis obviously that's going to be different in each part of the country but that's perfect yeah right but i'm not scared of a million dollar house at all i have not yet done one but ron really grand he teaches that once you do a big one you're you're going to be spoiled by it so but we get a lot of attention in that range the 130 to 250 zone we won't won't sit on them any length of time we get a line out the door of people who want to instead of being a renter want to become a tenant buyer and have a kind of ownership position yeah that's really important really important because you also get better quality tenants in those houses um, you're always going to find a demand for them that's going to be high because they're more affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and the great thing about lease options, too, is that you can take on those million-dollar homes, but there's no risk to you. I mean, I, I've done a couple million-dollar homes, and I was not able to find a tenant buyer, um, but I didn't have to make any payments. Exactly. I just had the agreement with the tenant, with the seller, that I'm not going to make any payments unless I find somebody. And then I even had the agreement with them that when I find somebody, if it's vacant – you're going to make the payments while it's vacant. Exactly. And the the uh, the seller was okay with that. So the, anything of like that is negotiable. But um, have you guys ever flipped? A, are you guys still there? Yeah, we're still here. We're still here. Oh, my phone is acting up. Sorry. Have you guys ever flipped a lease option, or have you always just stayed in the middle? Um, we've always stayed in the middle, but we are strategizing we uh, to do a flip on one. Right now we have a uh, opportunity where the numbers work. It's, it, the key is that the numbers work on it. But where we let the original bank and the original owner really be our, our like our hard money loan. It's not a hard money loan when you're only paying 3 or 4% and the holding costs are only the, the monthly mortgage payment. Go in, put our own money into the uh, rehab of it, and then flip it on a retail in the retail market. So I, I know that that's possible, and we're strategizing to do the first one of those. Okay, what I meant, though, was the just flipping, assigning the lease option to the tenant buyer and stepping out of the deal. Right. Have you done that? We, we have done that one time. Um, 
we typically, if we find a house that they are interested in the lease option, it's typically because we've kind of sold them into the fact of, you know, we are going to manage the property for them. However, yeah, we had, we good, did have good. one occasion where it was better for us to step out of the middle. And I, I'm still, we're still sort of in the middle. We're just like, I guess you could say almost like a consultant for the seller. Um, but so yeah. we don't get the sandwich monthly, but we still sure. keep the the buyer and the seller in communication with each other. So they, they, they're directly linked to each other, but they just still communicate through us. So, uh, but it was, it was, we did that with rather than a sandwich. One of the reasons was there wasn't a big spread there. The other was that there, uh, it was an hour away from our house. So, yeah. Okay. Let me explain. Let's step back a little bit because I know a lot of people are listening to this. And if we haven't lost them already, they're like, what are they talking about? Yeah. What is a lease option? I have, I'm totally lost. So um, a lease option is basically where you lease a property from an owner uh-huh. with the option to buy it in the future, right? So you have pretty much usually two different agreements. You have a lease agreement for you're going to lease it for two years, five years. And you have an option, a contract uh, that gives you the option to buy it in the future, right? So yeah. right. Yeah. Real simple and straightforward. It allows you to control property without owning it. And uh-huh. so sometimes you can stay in the middle, and that's where you're going to get the most profit. And sometimes you just there's not enough equity in there, so or not enough cash flow. And then that's when you can maybe just assign your contract, sell your contract to somebody else. Uh-huh. Um, can we talk a little bit about the numbers some more, Jonathan yeah. and Erica? So um, what kind of numbers do you like to see? when you're looking at a lease option deal. Let's use a hypothetical example of a $150,000 house. I'm going to write this down here so I can keep it in my notes. You have a seller that uh, has a house that's worth about 150. They haven't been able to sell it. It's an expired listing. And uh, they they tell you, hey, we'll, um, we'll, we'll sell it for 135, okay? Because they owe about 135 on it. Mm-hmm. And they're, they got a job transfer. They're moving down to, to Texas yeah. um, for some reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding, all you Texas listeners there. I said that because I have my wife's sister is here, and she's from Austin, Texas. Oh. So I have, to, I have to give people in Texas a hard time. All right, so they, the house is worth about $150. Um, you show the seller, listen, after the end of the day, after you sell it with an agent, on the on the MLS, you're going to walk away with nothing, right? Because you're going to have to pay commissions. You're going to have to pay all these extra costs, and um, they don't want to be a landlord. They realize that uh, they're moving down to Texas. They don't want to be a landlord. A lease option is the best alternative for them. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of offer would you present to this seller? And let's say the let's say their mortgage payments are a thousand a month. Okay. Okay. And this house would rent for thirteen hundred a month. So what would you do? We would we would put an agreement on it for uh, so we write a contract with them that we'll lease option it for the 135 and they walk away and maybe make it very easy. They never have to worry about the property again. We or actually our tenant buyer we pass it on, but become responsible for all maintenance and upkeep of the house, and they don't have to be concerned about it. The one the caveat to that is the mortgage stays in their name if. Uh, but now we control the property, like you said, without without actual ownership. So what we'll do is we take that 135 house and we'd probably mark that one if it was 
on the market for 150. We'd mark it up to 159, uh, 159.9 in our sale to our tenant buyer. Um, we'd agree okay. to take on the monthly principal interest taxes and insurance all escrowed into one payment of the thousand dollars. And then rather than say, oh, it would probably rent for thirteen hundred. When we shop the market, we're going to ask our we're going to ask our buyer what's the most that they could afford on that house because every once in a while we might get a fifteen or sixteen hundred dollar answer rather than the thirteen hundred. But just to tell you, I, I don't like to any more touch houses that aren't at least two hundred and fifty dollars a month of cash flow. And we have one that one that I told you about that that is nearly a thousand dollars of cash flow monthly. So your your minimum cash flow is about what's the least that you would accept? Uh, we have accepted less. But now I would not take one for less than two hundred and fifty dollars a month. All right, good. So two fifty is your minimum. Mm-hmm. I would encourage you guys to raise that we, as quickly as you we like three hundred maybe, right? Yeah. Well, um, we actually ideally is four hundred plus. That's that's where yeah. we want to be. But when I say that's the minimum, there's factors like what can we get as a down payment in the markup and what. You know, is it a good area? How, how great is the area? Yeah. What's the spread? You know, sometimes I get that hundred. You know, in that example, one thirty-five, and I marked it up to one sixty. There's a uh, twenty-five thousand dollars on the back end today, much less when yeah. you know we get to pay that mortgage down over time. So. Good, good. So what your your option price to the seller will be one thirty-five, right? Correct. You got it. And then um, how many years do you negotiate with the sellers? So we neg- What's your minimum? We negotiate five years with a one-time renewal uh, option of five years. So we're typically controlling the property in a lease option to, with an, a lease with an option to buy for, you know. Ten years. Ten years. That is beautiful. Wow. That's our standard right, so- operating procedure. That's how our agreements read. Five years with yep. one-time renewal. That is fantastic. Why? Because if the tenant buyer you put in there doesn't buy the house. That's right. You hope they do. You, you want to, We'll talk about this later, but you want to make sure you're putting tenant buyers in who have a realistic chance of getting a mortgage. Exactly. Um, one of the worst things that you, can, should, that you could do is put somebody in there that you know has no realistic chance of getting a mortgage. Right. Um, you want to make sure that just because they have you know, a ton of money to put down, you don't want to put them in the house if they don't have a realistic chance of getting a mortgage in one or two years. Correct. Um, all right, good. So you you're looking for a minimum of 300 cash flow. I like to shoot for 25% okay. of the rent as a minimum cash flow, right? Um, you're trying to get. Is there like a minimum amount of equity that you want in the deal? Actually, like no. 15%. Um, sometimes I've taken we've taken properties on that are worth what we are giving the seller so um i'll take on even uh lightly depending on again the zip code the place but i'll take on a over leveraged property even as long as people are giving me those nice long terms as long as the sellers are giving me those nice long terms but my rule is no more than five percent over leveraged okay now um your option price, are you setting your option price to be like whatever the loan balance is in five years? Do you do that, or is the option price to the seller fixed throughout the original? No, 
throughout the five our, to ten years? Our purchase price equals whatever the loan balance is at the time of closing, and that's exactly what our contracts read. Um, nice. If, okay. Okay. That's really important. <laughs> so, like, if we have I that people, house, if we have that house, yeah. that um, the seller owes one thirty-five right now, but they want one hundred and forty thousand for it. So they are looking at essentially five thousand dollars worth of equity. So we would write in on our auction, you know, the purchase price equals loan balance at the time of closing plus five thousand dollars. So you know, in ten years, oh, the house beautiful. might be like one hundred and fifteen thousand when we buy it, but we only have to give the seller five grand and pay off the loan and pay the loan off. Again. Isn't that amazing, guys? Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope <laughs> I get so excited talking about lease options because. Um, the longer you hold this property, the more money you're going to make. You've got a tenant buyer that's paying down that mortgage for you, right? Right. And uh, you're actually getting the benefit of the monthly cash flow. The cash, well, first you're getting the benefit of the cash up front. Mm-hmm. Then you're getting the monthly cash flow as you're going. But you're also, you've got the initial equity spread if there is any. And then you're paying, you, the tenant buyer is paying down the mortgage for you mm-hmm. so in five years it's worth that one that house that is now worth um uh well that well, the loan balance was 135 now maybe it's worth the loan balance is 115 all right so over five years you got another 20 grand in equity um you do it again so you keep on building and growing that equity so that these houses don't have to have a lot of equity when you buy them as long as you get good terms right it's price versus terms yeah, it's gonna it's gonna buy down over time. So just to like really spell that out for clarity for everybody who's listening, the example you used, the hundred and thirty five thousand dollar house, we've marked it up to let's just call it instead of one fifty nine nine, one sixty. So there's twenty five thousand dollars worth of equity right there. Well, let's say that mm-hmm. they gave us five thousand dollars down, now it's twenty thousand dollars worth of equity. Well, in your example, the mortgage Principal, interest, taxes, and insurance is a thousand dollars. We've marked it up to thirteen hundred. So every month we're cash flowing three hundred dollars off of that. Besides that upfront money. But here's the neat thing. Right. The key factor, principal. Every time you make a mortgage payment, some of that money, uh, some of that thousand dollars, is paying down principal. And it's not a big portion of that thousand dollars, but it could easily be three hundred dollars more. Uh, maybe even yep. as much as 500 depending on what their interest rate is. Well, every time yep. we make that $1,000 payment with our tenant buyer's money, our equity just grew by three to $500. So multiply mm-hmm. that times, you know, a nice portfolio. And every month that you manage these properties to uh, be paid, then your equity grows on a monthly basis and it, it, looks good like our equity is in a really strong place right now and growing and you're you're um <laughs> there's the most amazing thing about it too i mean did you go out and get a bank loan for these properties not even one of them did you did you have to go get it approved and show your credit and fill out an application and have them do all kinds of uh the credit checks on you and all of that None not of that. even one not even once they the, the, <laughs> the, the, the sellers never even asked us what our credit score was all right, and then how much money did you put down on these houses? Um, ten dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see why I get so excited about lease options, guys? <laughs> right. Like, 
I'm thinking, holy smokes, are you kidding? And this is a perfect market for them right now because the market's starting to come back. Mm-hmm. And even if the market goes down, you've got some cash flow yeah. in there. Okay? So the fundamentals are strong. You're still cash flowing on these properties. And uh, worst case, let's talk about worst case scenario, okay? Because mm-hmm. um, sometimes people think, well, what's this sounds too good to be true. What's the catch? Or you know, what's the worst case scenario? So worst case... Uh, you put a tenant buyer in there. Mm-hmm. Let's say the tenant buyer stops paying the rent. What do you guys do then? So one, we uh, we're, we give them a good talk before we move them in about how that would ever go. So we tell them um, that we deal in too many properties. We're not a charity. So we're very strict about our late pays. So if they pay later than the fifth, we collect 10 more percent. And um, then after the 5th, uh, if it goes till the 10th, then we get another percent for every day that they're late thereafter. If they tend to be 30 days behind ever, which that is the worst case scenario, why you want to keep some of that lease option fee sitting aside, because come the 15th, you better make that payment, even if yep, you haven't yep. received one. But even when people are late, they're usually almost always paying before the 15th, before you're having to use your own money or or your reserve money to do so. And, and we got to be we got to be clear too. I mean, this rarely happens. These are tenant buyers who have a homeowner's mentality. They want to buy that house. They, I've I have had always way better experiences with tenant buyers than I have with regular tenants. I won't even call them renters, Joe, whenever I drive around. And if I were showing a student, let's say, some of our portfolio, and we took a little drive around and looked, you know, around this half an hour radius around here, I drive past these properties. They're well-maintained. The yards are meticulous. Uh, They they have ownership mentality. They're making improvements on the property. Yeah. They're they're not the traditional, I threw a G.I. Joe in the toilet because I couldn't make my rent. Because guess what? They've yeah. got to fix it if they do. So yeah. you're right on. They're a higher quality of portfolio. You know, um, Excellent. They, they carry renter's insurance for their things that are in there. But in, all, yeah. in their mind, they're, they're owners of the house, even though they're not yet. All right. So right, back to the worst case, though. And the, the, the tenant, let's say, gets a divorce or they have to think, they have to move. Mm-hmm. Um, the tenant puts down five, ten grand to get in the house. Is that money refundable? Can they get that money back if they don't buy the house or if they have to leave? No, they actually. We have agreements that they sign that states that if they do decide not to buy the house, the money that they put down is non-refundable. Um, yep. And they sign a bunch of disclosures and everything, and they're very aware of it. Um, that yep. if something happens, sorry. Yeah. So it's a. It's, it's a, just like if. It's a lease option. If you were to go get a, if you were going to go get a mortgage on a house, right? Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And you 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 stop paying the mortgage and you have to go into foreclosure. You think the bank's going to give you back the earnest money deposit or exactly. your down payment money? No. Exactly. No. Okay. Good. So that's clear. Um. So now that you have to evict the tenant, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um. You go through. Let's say the tenant. I mean, do these tenants? What if the tenant does some damage to the property? What What do you do then? So the way that the agreement set up, we would have uh, legal ramifications because they know that they're responsible for it. But we do have a rehab business too, and we, you know, we as part of our agreement with our seller, 
we are responsible if we gave the house up after 10 years and had all that equity, which would be stupid. We would be responsible yeah. for delivering it back to them in an equal or improved condition. So we want to keep our properties up. So if they put a hole in the drywall, then we would uh, step in and we'd have to address that. But we don't tend to get mm-hmm. it done because we have a good talk before we move them in. And this is kind of how it goes, Joe. We say that, um, for instance, you're my tenant buyer. Say, Joe, all right, well, you just uh, signed all the paperwork. You just came to the agreement. Are you excited? Yeah. You understand what you just did? Yes. So you remember that part in there about litigation? I say, yeah. I say, well, what that means is that let's say that you don't pay. Then we found ourselves in front of a judge and uh, you're not paying. Who do you think is going to win if you didn't pay? And they're going to tell me what, Joe? You're, you're going to win, Mr. Landlord. That's right. So that part about litigation says that if when I win – that you would be responsible, so the winning party, the losing party, has to pay for all their legal fees. Joe, do you think I use a cheap lawyer? <laughs> that's a, that sounds like a Ron LeGrand question right there. <laughs> uh, might, no, no, I you don't. I someplace. <laughs> might be from him. I say no. So, so I say that's one way it could go, and then, you know, I can hold you accountable for all that you just agreed to right now. I said, that's one way. And I could, you know, have the sheriff come over. We move your stuff out, embarrass you in front of the neighbors. That's one way. Or the other way is you can, you know, be in good communication with us. And we can both agree that maybe you bid off more than you can chew. And I can even maybe help you move out of the house. And, you know, communicating like that means we get to work together maybe in the future. Doesn't get a scar on your record about evictions. And you don't kick holes in my drywall on the way out the door. And that's the way I'd yeah. prefer it. But if we come to that, you know, crossroads, it'll be your decision to make. And, you know, of the – we've had two houses that we have had them go vacant and we have had to refill them. Each and every single time, the houses are left immaculate. Um, Good. Do we always Good. have a really open line of communication with all of our tenant buyers? And we keep that open line of communication with them throughout the whole process. And like I said, I mean, we did have one that it was kind of an emergency situation. They had to move out. We only got a week's notice, but I just, I made it very clear, you know, that house has to look spotless whenever we go in there. And it did. The refrigerator was even wiped out and smelled good. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I've done when a tenant had to leave and if there was work that needed to be done, um, and this has only happened to me once. Um, I didn't do any work to the house to fix it up. I just advertised it as a handyman special lease option. And uh, yeah. if I if I looked at the the damage and it wasn't major, but it was about three grand worth of work. I just told the tenant buyer if you fix this up, and they had to fix it up before they moved in. It was paint and carpet and patch some walls or whatever it was. Um, then uh, I'll give you a three thousand dollar credit at closing when you buy the house. And so they look at that thinking right. well, that's a great deal because. It's only, I could do it myself. It's only going to cost me $1,000, and uh, I'm going to get a $3,000 credit at closing. Um, and yeah. you could also, if you wanted to, you could also just lower the rent. So if you knew it was going to cost you three grand, um, you could lower the rent 100 bucks for – you could lower the rent you, for uh, – my daughter's calling me. Oh, she's Okay. <laughs> Her little Barbie truck, you know, like the thing that you has a battery-powered thing? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like stuck. 
Yeah, yeah, like a Jeep. It's stuck at the top of the hill there, and oh, <laughs> she can get out and walk. Yeah. Oh, so, so anyway, you can do a handyman special, right? Go ahead. Yep. Oh, I was just going to tell you, we definitely have done that before. We've even advertised some houses that needed a little bit of work, but they were in a pretty good area as handyman specials. And that's what's so beautiful about the lease option is that it's terms. So it's flexible. You can do whatever you, you want. You can write a it. sentence in here or there that works for you, works for the buyer, works for the seller, and yeah. uh, it makes it makes the whole deal work. So the last one that we had to turn over, all we had to do was put a garbage disposal in, and one of the fire detectors was down. So that was like uh, 90 bucks, but we got another three grand down. So, and good cash flow. So not a challenge. More of the time, I'm going to tell you, you're going to get an improved property, but that is a, a option if you don't get an improved property and it has something to do, you can absolutely pass that on to your buyer. Good. All right, so let's talk about marketing, can we? Um, yes. You guys still have some time? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. This has gone longer than our scheduled time, but that's my fault because um, we started late. But the uh, what what are some of the things you like to do for marketing? How do you find these deals? So when we teach our students, we teach that you know there's about uh, 12, 15 marketing methods, and we teach teach to pick three main marketing methods and concentrate on those. So I'll say that what our three main marketing methods are is traditional bandit signs, so the yellow signs on the side of the road. And what we do that's a little different than just saying we buy houses is our say get full price for your house. And then there's a call to action, call now, and uh, it makes our phone ring. So yellow bandit signs are uh, effective. And then we have a program called Bandit Signs on Wheels, and that is that we put the same message on the back of cars. And I think right now we have about 140 of those cars on the street, and we, the way that we structure that is we offer to our drivers, which each have their own individual extension so that we know which car it came off of, that they get 10% of our initial profit. Now, that being described like that initial profit, that means it will be 10% of our lease option fee, so only our upfront money. Um, okay. And so that's that's one other thing that makes our phone ring. As we already told you, the expired listings is another um, good method because people didn't sell their house traditionally, and then they get a letter that says, hey, we're willing to give you full price, and then we tell them about how we can do that when we when they call us back. I mean, there's okay. tons of different marketing methods you could do, classified ads, Craigslist ads, Facebook ads. We just, we really pride our, ourselves on making what we do known to everybody so that we are the omnipresence of that. So if somebody asks, you know, what is it that you guys are doing now? We have our little elevator speech and we tell them exactly what we do and how we can help people and how we have helped people. Um, and that's really what a lot of our business has come from is you know joe we got five deer out here and two turkeys Uh, (laughs) come on now Uh, i see uh i see one dog my dog and uh a bunch of birds but that's it (laughs) and a bunch of kids um, one thing in regarding that omnipresence is 
at our RIA, we do uh, haves and wants. And so we stand up and, you know, if you've got something or you want something, you get a chance to plug yourself. And we take every opportunity for that. We, you know, promote ourselves about the window stickers that I was just telling you about. So, hey, I tell people, hey, if their windshield, the rear windshield of their car is not their employee, then to give me a call and we can, you know, fix that for them. And then also I let people know, especially the wholesalers that are at the RIA, that if they have deals that don't meet their criteria, then I have an option for them and let's do a joint venture scenario. And that's actually the, the trip that I'm taking tonight that's, you know, a little farther away, like I said, about 50, 50, 50 minutes from the house is uh, a wholesaler has two opportunities for us. And we structure that in a shared, you know, a, a joint venture scenario because a piece of pie is better than no pie at all. And for them as well. So they didn't nice. have a way to turn that into money before. And so we lease option it where it couldn't be wholesaled or sold as a rehab uh, to anybody who the numbers didn't work for that. So we can take it and lease option it and still turn it into a paycheck. Really nice. All right. So you've got um, letters going out to expired listings. You're getting other wholesalers to send you their deals. You're doing some bandit signs. You know, another great bandit sign that's worked well um, is we buy houses regardless of equity. That yeah, is something that you should, you should try as I, well. Yeah, um, I think that was your phone ring, definitely. You know, it's amazing, though, once you just start spreading the word, how many referrals – come your way. I can't tell you how many deals I've done from other investors that um, had a property, they don't know what to do with it, and they think a lease option might work, so let me just call Joe. Um, or it's a rehabber who, who fixed up a house and wasn't able to sell it. They put too much money into it. They weren't able to sell it for what they need. Or if they do sell it, they're going to not make anything, so they would rather just hold it, maybe sell it in a few years, they want to do a lease option. They call me and say, "Hey, let's. Can you help me with the lease option on this thing?" Uh-huh. And uh, so there, you just start spreading the words out. And then, once you start doing it for a while, you get other sellers that will recommend their friends to yep. you. Right. So that's that's really good. And a key is, I think, make a big deal about it. When somebody sends you a referral, you know, don't don't cut them out of it. Make sure that they get a payday. When they get a payday, when you get a payday, they get a payday. And when when they get a payday, make a big deal out of that. Put it on YouTube. You've given them their check. Uh, maybe do it in front of the RIA group. Um, just make it known that, you know, uh, we tend to find that uh, we get new calls every time we give a payday out. So their friends see it and they say, hey, I want a sticker on the back of my car or ah, I got a deal too. Uh, nice. Here you go. So it's a, it, it's a way to continue to grow in a spider web effect. As long as you, uh, as long as you do what you say you're going to do, when when it's when you do get your payday, and I love I love paying people that help me make money. It's one of my favorite things. Nice. All right, so um, talk about some of the questions or what what how does your conversation go? A typical conversation with the seller. What is your script? Could you run through it? Sure. Uh, I tend to call them and say, hey. Uh, this is Jonathan, and so let's say that it, they, they called into my office because I sent them an expired listing. 
then we use a program. It's called Pat Live. It's a room full of Pats. Uh, Hi, I'm Pat. Hi, I'm Pat. And they use a script to extract information, and then I get an email once it's been extracted. So then I'll call them back, and it says, hey, you spoke with Pat at my office about your house at whatever address. I want to just be sure that it's still for sale. Yes or no? And then, uh, so what's your name? My name's Jonathan. Um, I want to clarify, Pat told me that you're asking this price. Is that right? That's what you, that's what you want for it? And then they tell me, and I say, well, great. How did you arrive at that number? And then I shut up. Mm-hmm. And they're going to tell me, like they comped it or their neighbor got that amount or, or um, that's how much they owe. Sometimes they'll tell you or that's what they need to get or they bought it for this and they put that much into it. And that's why they think it is. And then you're going to clarify, well, how many bedrooms and how many bathrooms and what's the square footage and does it have a garage or not? And then you ask what what condition is the property in? And uh, a lot of times that opens a can of worms. They'll just tell you about every little improvement that they made. And I don't want to get way off track. So something I do is I go, well, I'm glad you brought that up. And then I get back on track. And back back on track is letting them know that's great uh, because we buy houses in any condition. This is the most important question, Joe, that I ask them. Can I ask you why you want to sell your house? Hmm. That's, That's an important one because... That lets you, you know, that tells you their motivation and what their situation is. They're going to be, I got a divorce and I need out or I can't keep up with the payments anymore. Or we're downsizing or, you know, my husband got transferred, like your example. We're moving down to Texas or um, whatever it might be. And that's a, that's a key note. You're going to keep using that over and over and over again in your dealings with them to help to structure the deal. But, and then... So they tell me why they're selling it, and I go, okay, well, it does sound like a house we'd be interested in. You know, a lot of times what works out best is by doing something with the financing. You have a mortgage still on the house, right? And uh-huh. then shut up. And so then they'll tell you, yeah. I say, okay, well, how much do you owe on it? And they'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Posing a question, following script. And uh, are you current on it? And that payment, is that inclusive of principal, interest, taxes, and insurance and everything? Uh, everything included? Yes. Well, do you know what your interest rate is? A lot of times they do. and Plug that in. And then you roll on to, great. Well, when we work with houses like yours, the way that we normally do it is we buy the house directly from you with either owner financing or on a lease purchase. Some people, they call that rent to own. A couple great things about how we do it is we can pay a good price. And we guarantee to take care of all the repairs and maintenance on the house. And that makes you free of it and you can move right along. Nice. Doesn't that sound great? Yep. Yes or no? Yes. Uh, be surprised how many people say say yes to that. And I'll tell you that beyond that little script, you know, that's an initial touch kind of script. Or uh, Beyond that, you got to go on to explain what's going on a little bit more. But that lets you know if you got a player. And um, sometimes you'll get a little resistance on some of that, but I used to get it more in the beginning than I do now. Pretty much almost everybody tells me that information. And if they don't, uh, tell them, hey, you know, I don't know a lot of people that are trying to help you to sell your house or that are interested in buying your house, but of the people that I know, you and me, I'm starting to lose interest. 
so you can tell me or not. <laughs> I can. I'll get a. We can buy another house on your street instead. Yeah, and, that's good. You're pulling back. You're playing the reluctant buyer. Right, and it's kind of a negative takeaway, and people tend to respond very well to that. And, yeah, because uh, you're not you're not trying to sell them something. You're not trying to convince them of a lease option. You're just asking questions, right? Right, and you're building long-term relationships with these people. So if they're throwing up a br- bunch of red flags for you at the beginning, I will tell you, I don't want to deal with really difficult people because I'm going to have, uh, like I said, as long as a 10-year relationship with some of them, and I just I want it to be easy going. So not every not every opportunity that you get do you want to take and. I like you, Joe. I've I've taken on some where I had 90 days to find myself a buyer, and and I didn't in that time and walked the deal. Yeah. Interesting enough, sometimes that becomes a better scenario later. Like they'll call you back three months more go by after your 90 days of trying. Three months go by, and all of a sudden they're offering it at a better price. Well, and here's the beautiful thing too is that. We start every single conversation out with our sellers as we want it to be a terms deal. So we want to take it over without our own money or anything like that. However, if if they're not biting, if they don't want to do that, then we switch it right over and say, well, if I could pay all cash right now and close fast, what's the least you would take? And we explain to them, you know, how we have to buy everything at a discount because, you know, we're not going to move into the home. We are investors. And I think that's what's a little bit different about us than everybody else is that not everybody is very upfront and very honest yeah, with you, you, their sellers. You have to be transparent, I think, in this industry and they because they're going to ask you, how do you make money? That's a question that I get asked. I say, well, I make money because I'm able to mark your property up. And yeah. I get an upfront fee so that I have a, a buyer with skin in the game that moves in. And I, I mark up the monthly for managing it every month. And then one day in the back, I get a, a big payday. And that's why I, it behooves me to get my buyer all the way to become a, uh, to, to be mortgage worthy. Yeah. So we all want the same thing. We don't hide anything at all i mean and they know that we're going to market the house on the internet on zillow on craigslist they'll go on there and they'll look and see what we've marked it up to and you know we just say yeah that's that's the cost of you know doing business with us that's what we are going to make on the property but guess what you don't have to pay us anything we're doing this as a service for you we're here to help you and i always tell my sellers anytime you have a question my phone is always open to you. If I'm not available, I will call you back as soon as possible. And that's what I do. It's because this is such a relationship business, and keeping your sellers happy is the most important thing. Very good. One of my favorite questions to ask, I'll just throw one in. Um, Mr. Seller, I know you want to sell this house, but what are you going to do if you can't sell this house? Are you going to rent yeah. it? Yeah, what's your backup plan? What's your exactly backup right. plan? And that makes them think that a lot of times they haven't been asked that question before. Or maybe they have, and they realize, well, I don't know. I mean, if they say something like, we'll just stay here until it sells, then they're just probably not ready to do a lease option yet. But if they say something along the lines of, well, we might just have to rent it, or I don't know what we're going to do, or I don't know. I've had sellers say a lot of times, just give it back to the bank. You know, that spells motivation. And yeah. uh that's, you know, the great thing about lease options, too, is they don't have to be super motivated, they, but they have to have some motivation, right? Right. Joe, I've, I, I got to tell you, 
I've had somebody say, well, uh, that sounds risky to me. I'm just going to let it go back to the bank. And I, I don't, I, you can't fix some people, Joe. Yeah. Uh, how, how can I say the biggest risk is I don't pay your mortgage and it goes back to the bank. So that's the biggest risk that exists here for you. Why would you just skip something that would save your credit? Yeah, yeah. Well, so it's it's pretty much like when you're looking for high equity deals with a lot of, you know, most wholesalers out there are looking for the high equity deals that have a lot of motivation where the seller is willing to give you 80, I mean, you know, willing to give you all of their equity and let you buy it for 50, 60, 70 cents on the dollar. But with lease uh-huh. options, they don't have to be that motivated. Now, they do got to be motivated. I, I, I come across a lot of students that are struggling maybe because um, they're trying to turn a non-deal into a deal and they're trying to get a seller who's not that motivated yet to do a lease option. And they just need to pass on the deal. And that's why it's so important to do a lot of marketing because if you've got a good lead volume coming in, you've got a lot of leads, it doesn't matter. If the seller doesn't want to do it, pass, go to the next one, right? Yeah, Joe, I'll tell you this. Uh, there's been met multiple occasions now where I took your stance, what are you going to do if you don't sell it? And they say they're going to list it with a realtor again, even after they failed or they're just mm-hmm. going to keep trying. And I say, okay, great. Well, I will tell you that I've been called back after some time went by and I became a better option. So you don't mind if I put on my uh, on my call schedule for me to follow up with you in six months. You know, if somebody doesn't show up at your house with a briefcase full of money or tell your realtor that they got it, maybe I'm going to be a better option six months from now. Frankly, it behooves me to let you pay down your mortgage a little longer and then take it over. Yeah. And <laughs> I've even asked, I've asked a seller before, because um, I've told the seller, listen, I, I'd, I'd be willing to start making your payments for you right now, if we can structure uh-huh. this deal. And they said, no, I just want to list it. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. You can certainly do that. Let me ask you something though: Is the realtor going to make your mortgage payments while they're listing the house? Right. Of course, the answer is no. Joe, here's another angle: Is I say, hey, so the uh, most realtors want uh, sixty or six months to, you know, mm-hmm. list your house. They lock it in for six months. And I only ask for 90 days to list it. So, frankly, I know that realtors tend to lose interest if they haven't got a lot of activity in the first 30 days on your house. So they've got it locked up for five more months. Would you do this? I understand you want to try that way. But you've already tried for six months or two years that method, even dropping the price, dropping the price, dropping the price. Would you consider asking your realtor to only list it for 90 days? And if they don't get it done, why don't you give me a shot? Yeah, that's a good question. That's really good. The whole point of this is just to listen, shut up, listen, ask questions. And uh, if the seller says no, they're not ready, that's fine. Just follow up. Follow up, follow up, follow up. Keep your foot in the door. Say, hey, that's fine. I I wish for you that you get a a cash buyer showing up. But if you don't, is it okay if I follow up in, you know, 60, 90, um, you know, 180 days? And we follow up until they tell us us absolutely not, you know, please don't call again. Good. What is some of the follow-up that you guys do? 
So, like I said, we'll put on our sheet that we're going to follow, you know, that we're going to follow up in those 60, 90 days. Sometimes we'll, you know, end up sending them another letter because the listing expired again and that all happens automatically. So then they get another letter from us. Um, the, uh, the phone call, interesting enough, they'll call, they'll call us after that because we planted that good seed and say, Hey, it didn't get done. I have uh, one that I just went and visited last night and the guy's out of town, but, uh, we'll put together the agreement this evening and get it over to him. But he tried with a realtor. He's got to pay. And I'll tell stories like this. I'll say now he's got to pay 2,400. He's working with me, but he spent, you know, 90 days with a realtor. He's got, he's locked in for six months. The realtor couldn't get it done. And now he's more desperate so much so that he's paying $2,400 to the realtor just to be a release from the agreement so that we can work together so that I wow. can get it done. Wow. So, um, it, stories help. Like when you can tell stories like about different kind of buyers that you get, like I get buyers with 800 credit scores, but the bank won't loan them money. They get a picture of what this guy looks like. He owns a tree service, so he collects a lot of cash. So the bank doesn't think his debt-to-income ratio looks great, stuff like that. So, Or I've had a house that ended up selling. You know, I've been looking for a tenant buyer, and I found a, a cash buyer along the way. Or I found, you know, my fastest turnaround where somebody actually bought and closed on the house was four months. So I tell them the industry national average is around two years but i've done it in as fast as four months and as your experience grows you have more stories to share like that yeah that's really good the stories work those stories work really well got a couple more questions for you guys um do you have a database where you manage all your leads yeah we do we um we, we have the, the paper method. We always have a, a paper trail. Um, we also store our leads on REI Black Book. Yeah. Okay, nice. And um, what kind of marketing do you guys do to find tenant buyers? What do you What's your favorite way to find good TVs, tenant buyers? You know, I think the, the very, very best way that people respond the most, well, I'll tell you two ways. Um, putting out those yellow bandit signs, man. People call those like hotcakes. And yeah. also... Craigslist, Facebook, like, you know, having an online presence. People are always looking on Craigslist, and we put it in the for sale, you know, by owner section, and we, always, and we also put them in, like, the rental section, so, like, under apartments and stuff like that. We have a lot of um, different phrases and stuff that we use to advertise, so we'll put in really big letters, like, rent to own or your credit approved your your credit approved bad credit okay no bank qualifying you know um no banks needed no bank qualifying um move in today you know like we we just put a lot of those words that catch people's attention and then you know we try to describe the property very vividly almost like you know if they were going to walk in the front door things that would happen we had one we tell a story yeah yeah we had one listing where it was like you know Welcome to your, you know, beautiful five-bedroom, two-bathroom home in beautiful Lindenwood Park um, outside of St. Louis City. As you pull up and you park your car in your one-car garage and you walk up the ramp to get into your back door, you stick your keys on the counter as, you know, you hang your coat up at the back door and then you walk in and um, I think our assistant put you 
pour yourself a glass of wine as you start to make dinner. I mean, wow. it's just very descriptive so that you it's almost like a story. And they end up with you, you know, um, writing some emails in your office before you tuck your children into bed and, you know, you crawl into your comfy big bed in your spacious master bedroom. I mean, like, it's just, it's very descriptive. Fireplace, yeah. yeah you sit almost, down with your wine next to the fireplace to unwind. Just very, very, like, what would a normal person's life be like, and how can they imagine themselves living there? Um, nice. And so we do that, and that just really, that appeals to people. And then if if we see it start to go long where we didn't get initial a lot of attention, then we'll pay, do a paid-for uh, campaign on Facebook, but that's the only thing that ever costs us money, really. Talk about the paid campaign on Facebook. What is that? So what I'll do is I will get a post set up um, on our actual like uh, business Facebook page, and then uh, Facebook allows you to basically boost the post, and so I can choose like what area. I want to do that, like, even down to what age group I want the house to be shown to. And so what it does is it just kind of shows up on the news feed as, like, a sponsored ad or a sponsored post. So when people are scrolling through, you know, sometimes you'll click on something and you'll be like, oh, I didn't even realize that was an ad. Well, it just kind of looks like it belongs on Facebook. And so people will click on it and then it'll take them to my website that I have set up through REI Blackbook. Well, actually, it takes them to a landing page that has all the details, that story, um, all the marketing information, how to contact us, and it's all on that squeeze page. And then they can also click to our website just to see a little bit more about us and other properties that we have. But essentially, it there's a phone number on there, and that phone number goes to our leasing agent, and then our leasing agent will pre-qualify the buyer. And then it will take them out there and show them the property and then take an application fee. We'll run the application. And then if the buyer looks good, um, you know, we'll get them moved in. And it's like you said, I, I always do a debt to income evaluation because I do not want to, you know, violate those laws that are, you know, unfair housing and stuff like that. So we always make sure that they are able to qualify for at minimum an FHA loan. Now, if, they need to do the work on themselves and they didn't do it. That's not my fault, but at least with their income, they should be able to qualify for a loan. Interesting. So that yeah. was a lot. I just laid on you. Sorry. In our, net, in our network, uh, people, our, our dream team, you know, we, uh, we have um, a mortgage person and we send them over and let them like, work with them and frankly we don't care when they get qualified so if we put them in a two or three year lease and we tell our sellers this about them too is that if we put them in a two to three year lease but they become qualified in only six months and they become mortgage worthy then we'll let them cash out they don't have to go the full term of the two and three years it's whenever it's whenever they're ready to purchase it good all right well, sounds Sounds really good. What what are some of the things you guys think that investors who are interested in doing lease options, what are some of the things they need to be aware of? Are there um, certain mindset issues they need to be overcome? Uh, so, you know what I mean? 
a couple things that uh, would be my advice is one thing would be um, so there's something called do on sale clauses uh, that tends to be sticking points for people. Don't worry about it. I've never heard of one being called do and all the people that I know around the country that are doing them. And basically, so you just so you know what that is, every mortgage has a do on sales clause and people are fearful that, you know, this lease option transaction could make that come full circle. Frankly, if, if the banks are getting paid on a monthly basis, they don't care. They're not trying to call a loan due over what you're trying to do. So I never hear of that happening. And uh, something that we see a lot of our students struggle with is just having the mentality of they feel like they almost have to beg for the lease option, and then that's not it at all. Like you're doing a, you know, basically a favor for the seller. You know, it's helping you out, but you you cannot make every single one of these sellers that you talk to want to do your lease option. So you just need to be in the mindset of you are gathering information to discuss it with your business partners. And we tell all of our coaching students, we're your business partner. So when you get that deal, you need to discuss it with us before, you know, if it's your very first one, yeah, yeah, get as much information as you can and run the ball as far as you can. But if you're not comfortable, you have to discuss it with your business partner. Use a higher authority. It works in every type of real estate deal. You never make yourself the deciding factor completely. Always defer it up to whoever is helping you finance it, who, you know, whether it's a husband and wife, my business partners, my wife, uh, whoever it may be, you can make things pending their approval and it always gives you easy outs. That's really good. All right. So uh, I would tell you is, uh, like she said, mentality, you don't want to beg. In fact, uh, you you need to be in the process where you remove dollar signs from your eyes and you're trying to help people. It's neat when the stars align, when you help somebody who can't sell their house to get their house sold you can't you help somebody who can't buy a house to be able to buy a house and you got to play the middle and make money that's a great thing but i'd say the biggest uh, advice i'd give is get yourself you know surround yourself with somebody who's done this in the past that's a good way to get started get a mentorship get a coach we pay a great deal of money ourselves to be in coaching programs we have along the way but it way overpaid for itself at this point, just in what we've built. I was able to leave my 70 and 80 hour work week and not be an absentee father and an absentee um, uh, husband like I was on track for with the old traditional way of the only way to make money, work super hard and be gone all the time. And maybe everybody will understand one day. That's really good. So how can people get a hold of you guys? So you can reach us at um, our website. It's www.brazercouple.com. So that's B as in boy, R-A, B as in zebra, E-R, couple, C-O-U-P-L-E.com. Excellent. And so you are one of the coaches in Life and Air. Is that right? That's right. Yes, we are. We not we coach Life and Air students, so we're life coaches, and then we coach lease options and real estate students. So if our if our real estate student finds a rehab, a wholesale, or a lease option, we can walk them through that. We do all of that. Or even a mobile home too. Yeah, even a mobile home. We have a few of those working ourselves. 
Nice. Okay, so again, brazercouple.com, www.brazercouple.com. We'll have that link in the show notes at realestateinvestingmastery.com. Guys, you've been really gracious with your time. You've you've inspired me. Again, I, I just love hearing stories of successful investors out there doing lease options. We just interviewed somebody the other day, um, Matt Reed, who's doing a bunch of them in Ohio. I have another interview scheduled with uh, a guy named Bill Watson, Walston, I think. Um, and I'm not sure where he lives, but he's coming up soon talking about uh, lease options that he's doing. He's been doing them in North Carolina, I think. For, awesome. for for years and years and years. So you know, it's we'll uh, have to maybe we'll pick up a, a, a nugget as well from them. And we just appreciate you reaching out to us, and uh, we're we're proud to proud to have helped you. Excellent. Well, thank you, Jonathan and Erica. I appreciate the time and I appreciate you sharing all these gold nuggets. I am hoping that somebody out there has been inspired. I know somebody has, but. Not just inspired, like, oh, that sounds really awesome, that sounds nice. and But no, it, it, you're going to start taking action, and that's the biggest thing I want people to take away from this. Yep. S- start mm-hmm. taking action, start taking massive action, and you'll start, excuse me, having success, start doing deals. All right, good, yeah, awesome. People, like, it, people often get in their own way, and that's, I think, uh, you know, they just want to study, 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 and you just need to go out there, even if you're writing it on the napkin. Uh, I always tell people course the best thing to do is the right thing but the second best thing or the second thing is the wrong thing because you can fix that once you've developed the relationship you can go do an addendum or write a new agreement but you've developed the relationship and the worst thing that you can do is nothing and a lot of people are sitting in those shoes so you know reach out to us on our uh, on our website we'd love to help you and um you know we love to build success stories other than us that's really good all right thank you guys And uh, we appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.